Good morning. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. Thank you all for being here this morning. It's great to have you all with us. Welcome to you and welcome to those joining us online. If it looks like there are fewer people uh, here among us this morning, that's because we've got 175 people at our first ever church camp this weekend and understand they're having a great time with some beautiful weather. Um, but it's great to have you here. I'm glad everybody didn't go to the church camp. It's great to have you all here today. Um, we are studying this summer a, a, a topic, a theme we've called questions, and we're looking at questions that people ask, questions that have to do with our, our uh, culture, uh, lives, broadly speaking. And today I'm going to look at a question, can try to consider a question that uh, we just can't uh, skip over this summer, and that is, why does God allow suffering? In his book, The Case for Faith, author Lee Strobel notes a study that was done by the Barna Research Group, well-known Christian uh, researchers, in which they posed to uh, respondents this question, if you could ask God only one question, and you knew that he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The number one question, the top question was this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And it makes sense that we should ask that question, doesn't it? Because if we believe that God is good, and He is, and we also believe that God is all-powerful, He's omnipotent, 
Well, it certainly seems that he could stop any suffering that might come our way. If God really cares about us, if he really loves us, and if he's really sovereign and all-powerful, why does suffering exist? It's a question that I expect we have all had, whether or not we've asked that question aloud. I expect we've all wondered about it uh, a number of times in life. I can't promise to provide a satisfying answer to everybody's question about suffering this morning. I certainly cannot. I'm inadequate for that, I know. There are some questions in life that we, I don't think we'll have fully answered in this life. Uh, the Apostle Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, uh, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then one day in eternity I'll know even as I'm fully known. At times in life we have questions that we just have to realize we may not fully understand in this life, but one day in the presence of God our understanding will be far more complete. I'd like to consider this um, first, broadly speaking, uh, in trying to address why suffering exists in the world, and then move from that to more specifically, uh, what about those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ? Is there anything beneficial that can result from suffering? And we'll look at the passage that Allison read, written by the Apostle Paul. But first, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there pain in the world? Why is there evil in the world? I think there are three things uh, in particular that we should understand. The first is this, the world is broken because of human sin. The Apostle Paul writes these words in the book of Romans, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Isn't that remarkable? Paul's talking about the created world, the earth, as if it's a, a living thing groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Creation is groaning to be free from the effects of human sin. When God created this world, and we are, are, are presented with God's understanding in, uh, in the book of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And by the way, I think I've said it before, but Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are foundational for understanding so many things about life. From work to sexuality to identity to temptation to sin and atonement extremely important chapters in the Bible. But when God created the earth in the Garden of Eden, there was no suffering. There was no pain until there was human sin. The serpent came and enticed Adam and Eve. They ate of the forbidden fruit. All of a sudden, sin, spiritual death, entered the human race. And immediately in Genesis chapter 4, we have murder. Cain slew his brother Abel. There's another murder in that same chapter, not as well known, but a man named Lamech kills another man. Genesis chapter 4. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, 
we read these remarkable words because of the way sin is spread among the human race in Genesis 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In his book, Christians Hope, uh, Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask, the author Mark Middleberg suggests that 90% of suffering in the world has human causes. And uh, as we think about it, war, genocide, murder, torture, slavery, trafficking, abuse, corruption in governments, greed, certainly the effects of human sin have brought pain and suffering and evil into the world. The world's broken because of humanity's sin. This is really, essentially, the world is as Jesus said it would be when he told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. But he didn't leave them on that note. He gave them hope when he said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Secondly, this world is broken because of Satan's work. The Apostle Paul uses a remarkable title for Satan when he calls him the God of this world. He notes the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ. He refers to him in Ephesians 2 as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is active in the world. And though Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life, he noted the thieves comes to steal and kill and destroy The book of Revelation says this in chapter 12, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And though Satan, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, has power and is at work in this world, his freedom to steal and kill and destroy is limited and his time is running out. That's why John in the book of Revelation said he knows that he has a short time, and that was 2,000 years ago. So today, his time is really short. Well, the world is broken because of humanity's sin, because of Satan's work. And then thirdly, we should know this when we consider suffering. This world, as we know it, with its brokenness and its pain and its suffering, is temporary. The world as we know it, the teaching of the Bible is that it will pass away. John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. To me, that's a remarkable verse. Think about it. God doesn't let his angels do this work. He himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. For the follower of Jesus Christ, the one who knows Jesus, the one who's in Christ, 
all suffering will have an end. If you are in Christ, the suffering you experience in this life is the only suffering you will ever know. That's not the case for the person without a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by any means, but for the believer, that's the only suffering you'll ever know. This is the great hope for the believer, eternal life, eternal life. So the world is broken because of humanity's sin and because of Satan's work, but this world as we know it will end. It's temporary and suffering for everyone in Christ, every believer will have an end. Now, let's shift for a moment to what the Apostle Paul teaches about this question. Can anything beneficial at all, anything good, come out of suffering as a Christian? Can anything good result? Because this also speaks to some degree, I think, to the why that God would allow his much-beloved children to experience pain and suffering. Now, I'd like to look particularly at what the Apostle Paul wrote in the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Allison read a moment ago. The book of 2 Corinthians, I think, is Paul's most detailed letter that speaks to his own sufferings. And Paul's sufferings are significant. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the books in our New Testament, uh, went through really remarkable suffering. We, we, we think about suffering in the Bible, most people's minds go immediately to Job. Job is almost synonymous with suffering. We could just about say the same thing with Paul, the Apostle. What does he teach us? This man that went through so much, this man God chose to give us 13 books of our New Testament, what did he write about suffering? What can come from it? Can anything good come from suffering as a Christian? Number one, we can learn to depend upon God's power rather than our own abilities or strength. Paul says it this way, we have this treasure, and when he says treasure, we need to look at the verse immediately preceding this, in which Paul speaks of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And I think by jars of clay, he's speaking to our human bodies with their weaknesses and their frailties to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In verse 16 of this passage, he'll note that our outward body, our physical body, our outer self is wasting away. It's perishing. But our inward self is being renewed day by day. And so, Paul is saying we have this treasure, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus within us, but it's within weak vessels. Our bodies are experiencing aging, suffering, uh, decay, wasting away. In order that we might know the surpassing power <clears throat> belongs to God, not to us. In other words, we're really incredibly weak. But God is incredibly strong, and that is one of the greatest lessons a Christian can learn, 
It brings humility before God into our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul lists some of the things he suffered. And just listen to this for a moment. Chapter 11, verse 23, he, he enumerates some of his own sufferings. Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Now think about that. Five different occasions, Paul was whipped with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. I mean, Paul, like some of us have, have had sleepless nights. You've ever been through some grief or anxiety or pain? Paul said this was, this was common for him, sleepless nights. Hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. He goes on at the beginning of chapter 12 following this to say, though, despite all these things, God, God revealed himself to me, and he revealed some things to me that are just, well, he said he couldn't even describe them. The revelations he received from God were so great. But he continues, <clears throat> in light of these revelations, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of these great revelations, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And we read now in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. We could substitute the word sufferings, couldn't we? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul is saying that our weaknesses and sufferings in this life point us to the need for God's power. Paul knew he was weak and inadequate and insufficient, but boy, was God's power great through that man. God's mighty, mighty power. Sometimes in suffering, we learn the all-important truth that we're incredibly weak, but God is incredibly strong, and humility results. Can anything good come out of a time of suffering? Well, for one, we can learn to depend more upon God's power instead of our own strength, but number two, we can grow in endurance, character, and hope, and faith. Paul writes these words in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith <clears throat> into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Rejoice in our sufferings? Wow. 
Reminds me of what the Apostle James says when he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, perseverance. Let perseverance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, you go through suffering, holding on to God in faith, endurance can result that leads to spiritual maturity. Now, I have to say, I read these verses, and I have to say, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I don't normally rejoice in my sufferings. I like to get out of suffering. And there's nothing wrong with trying to get out of suffering. The Bible says, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. Pray for a solution. But have you ever known a Christian whose walk with God was so remarkable that you can almost see and sense God's presence on that person's face. I think of someone many of you, if you've known, I think of some of you here now, actually, in the room. I'm thinking of the moment of a woman named Debbie Wright, uh, died several years ago. Debbie had a countenance on which the Lord's presence was almost visible. But I'd known Bill and Debbie long enough to know that she had been through some very difficult times of suffering, yet through those she didn't turn from God. She drew closer to God. Now, the reason I say we can grow in endurance and character and we can learn to depend upon God's power is that not all people do that. I've talked to some people over the years who, who, who've taken this attitude. God didn't come through for me. God did not answer my prayer. God did not heal my loved one. God did not give me what I wanted. I want no more to do with God. As the saying goes, some people's hearts are like clay and some are like wax. For some people, when the heat of adversity comes, their hearts become hardened brittle, resistant. But for others, when the heat of adversity comes, they become more malleable, softer, more fully molded into the likeness of Christ. I think Debbie Wright was that way. I look around here and know many of you are that way. The Apostle Paul was that way. Let me just say this. Whatever you experience in life, never, ever turn away from the Lord. Always turn back to Him. It is okay to complain to God. In fact, the largest single category given by scholars who categorize the Psalms is the lament category. There are lots of Psalms that are laments. That means there are complaints in which the psalmist may even be somewhat angry at God. Far better to come to God and express to Him your, your complaint, your lament, even your anger, than to walk away or harden your heart or turn away from Him. He's your only real hope, and He loves you with an everlasting love, whether you can feel it or not, as the song we sing says, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, He is working.
Don't harden your heart toward him. And then number three, and this is a big one for the Apostle Paul, any benefit that can come through suffering, we can learn to live in anticipation of eternity. Notice Paul's words here. For this light, momentary affliction, wait a minute now. We just read his, about his afflictions a few minutes ago. That long list of things he suffered, the beatings, the stonings, the being shipwrecked. He calls that light. And it went on for apparently years, and he calls it momentary. How can he do that? Only by comparison with what he knew lay ahead in eternity. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. The things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's giving a key to the way he lived here, the way he endured difficult things. He understood the difficulties were part of this transient world that's passing away, and he didn't fix his eyes there. He fixed his eyes on eternal things. Suffering can help to keep us from loving this world too much. I'm not saying it does, not for everyone, but it can. It can. There are times in life when you recognize you've lost the person you love dearly, but you've got the hope of eternity. This world is going to have difficulty. It's going to have pain. It's going to have evil. But one benefit for the believer who does not turn from God but to God is a greater eternal perspective. One of the dangers of living in a country where everything is, is good and easy and there's tremendous affluence is that we just don't think about eternity very, very often. And I find that people tend to think about eternity a great deal more when they have experienced some kind of adversity. We can learn to live in anticipation of eternity. Paul goes on to say, as he continues from the passage that Allison read with these words, for we know that if the tent, he's talking about our body here, our bodies, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So Paul says, not only is creation groaning, but he says, I'm groaning too. I'm longing for eternity. He'll continue in that passage with these words. So we're always of good courage. He says, this is why I have hope. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul's saying we live with an eternal perspective, thinking about eternity. This is why Jesus said to his followers before he went to the cross, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So he's telling them, this is the key to their troubled heart, the assurance of your eternal home with me. So don't let your heart be troubled. What you're going to experience here may be hard, may be difficult, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. Can anything good come from going through adversity, suffering for your faith, suffering as a Christian? We can learn that the surpassing power comes not from us, but from God. We can learn to depend on His strength and ability and power rather than our own. We can grow in endurance, Paul says. That's why James says, count it all joy, because if you're walking by faith through your sufferings, you're growing in maturity. Paul says your endurance is producing character and hope. And then thirdly, we can learn to live in a greater anticipation of eternity. Let me just say this this morning. Um, I know that some people in our church are suffering right now in a way that just makes me feel totally inadequate to speak to this topic. Um, I know that because I get the prayer requests and read the Ham Here cards every week. And sometimes there'll be a card from someone who has been through a tragedy that's just unspeakable. Sometimes there'll be someone who will, will say that they're suicidal and they won't leave their name. A member of our church this week had one of the, the greatest tragedies I can imagine with the loss of her daughter and little grandson in a terrible accident. And I just want to say this to you right now. If you're dealing with pain or suffering or disappointment with God, I just, I just want to leave you with these thoughts. Number one, never forget that God himself entered this world and suffered for you. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God doesn't run away from our suffering. He entered into it, into this evil, sinful, suffering world. And Jesus on the cross suffered for us. Do not make the mistake of thinking that Jesus' suffering on the cross was merely the physical pain of death by crucifixion. Jesus' suffering on the cross was far, 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 far more than physical pain. In a way, we cannot even understand the sinless Son of God took upon himself the weight of the sin of the whole world. And what that was like for the second person of the Trinity, the sinless Son of God who knew no sin, who is the epitome of all holiness, the very definition of holiness, we cannot know. But he did it for you, and he did it for me to bring you to himself in eternity. Remember that. And remember this, if dealing with pain, suffering, disappointment with God, God cares for you despite what you feel. I love this verse from Psalm 34 where David writes, and David wrote the 34th Psalm in a very critically uh, 
a very low point in his life. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Have you ever felt crushed in spirit by something? You probably don't feel God's presence, but you can know that he is near. Despite what you feel, as a believer in Jesus, you have the promise that he will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. That he is with you forever. And that one day he will actually wipe the tears from your eyes. And let me just say this to you for those who have friends going through these things. People going through a, a crushing time of suffering don't typically need a whole lot of verses or easy answers. They typically just need a friend who will be present to love them and, and listen to them. But God is also that friend. He's near to the brokenhearted. Number three, if you're dealing with pain, suffering, disappointment with God, remember, ultimately God can and will replace your despair with joy, peace, and hope. Some people lose all hope, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of hope. That's why Paul, who suffered so much, can pray for the, the believers at Rome. May God, the God of hope, he calls God the God of hope. And God will give you hope, though you don't feel it now. And fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I just leave you with this. If you're going through something that's... Uh, unspeakable. God can and he will restore you. He can and he will fill you with the hope that is his as he fills you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So please do not despair. Last thing I'll say is this. Um, we never want you to leave here a service here in need of prayer. That's why on our ham here cards so much space is given for you to write a prayer request, but even more importantly, these tables in the back, we call them our prayer tables. Please don't ever leave without getting prayer if you need prayer. We have deacons, elders who will be back there. We might be a little shorter handed than usual today because so many people away at the church camp. But um, I'm always, always my privilege to pray, pray with you as well. So don't leave here if you need prayer. Approach the table, approach me, approach one of us. And would you pray with me now? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Lord, I want to pray first for those who are experiencing something that I can't even imagine. Pray for those who, who um, from time to time, express the desire for their lives to end. And I pray for them that you would pour out grace upon them and you would give the needed sparks of hope today to turn them to you, to put them in contact with a person or persons for the help they need, that you give them courage and that you give them encouragement. Father, we pray for Kathy and her family today. 
that you would pour out healing on the loss they've experienced this week. And I pray for those here who need your power. Lord, you are the Lord, our healer. You are the great physician. You tell us not only to pray when we're suffering, but to pray one for another that you may be healed. And I pray for those here in our congregation who are experiencing physical pain or illness and need your healing. Would you bring your gifts of healing to your church here, Lord? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Bless and encourage your people. And if there's anyone listening who has not yet put his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, Redeemer, would you bring that one by the power of the Holy Spirit to yourself today to embrace, embrace Jesus as the way and the truth and the life? And we pray this in his great name. Amen.